0: to the Strange Matters Podcast, where we discuss anything just outside the norm, ranging from the bizarre and unexplained, to the supernatural and paranormal, and everything in between. I am your host, Sean, joined by my fellow co-host,
1: Eric. Now, I wanted to start this episode off with a question. If a tree falls in the forest, and no one is around to hear it, does it really make a noise? What do you think, Sean? maybe maybe probably good answer so this instead of a this is more of a philosophical question than a scientific one and this mind experiment raises questions regarding humans ability to observe and perceive reality what is reality and what is simply our perceptions and how do we tell the difference so for this episode i wanted to take a tangent off of this concept as we discuss a more ...literal interpretation of this episode's title. Some of the world's most haunted forests. Now there are a few places I would rather be than a legitimately haunted forest. Sean, I don't know if you've ever been to something like Scare Mare... ...or any of these haunted forests which are basically... ...it's just the woods packed with people... And, you know, some, some scary scenarios that they'll set up and you give them your money to take a tour through the woods and get scared, basically. Have you ever done anything like that?
0: Uh, Not really, but I mean, I've been around it. Especially, like, with all the Halloween stuff when they set those things up. Yeah. Um, I've never actually been too big into them, but I can definitely see the appeal.
1: Yeah, I mean, we would, in high school and early college, we would go as groups of friends and... Sometimes it would be fun, but most of the time it, it wasn't very scary when you're surrounded by people.
0: I was going to say, if you're in a large crowd, it's like... Yeah, yeah it's it's
1: it's hard to be scared uh, in that kind of a scenario. But sometimes, even just being in the woods by myself, in the regular woods, you know, during the day, not, not a haunted forest, but just in the woods, can be totally disoriented and cause me to come somewhat unnerved and i was definitely surprised to learn that there are a large number of haunted forests all over not only the united states but also all over the world and i'm not just talking about the haunted forests that pop up around halloween time like we discussed these are legitimate forests that real paranormal sightings of ghosts aliens what have you have actually taken place and the following haunted forests will undoubtedly take things up a notch above your average forest as i've picked some of the scariest and most notorious ones around so without further ado let's jump right into our first haunted forest of this episode and the first haunted forest is called hoya bai and thanks to ashley for suggesting this so, it's also known as the world's most haunted forest. So, obviously, we would start off with this as number one. It's located near Cluj Napoca, Romania. And it's a forest that takes up an area of over 250 hectares, which is about 600 acres. And it is also commonly known as the Bermuda Triangle of Romania.
0: For this forest to have such a reputation, As we will get into, there are so many bizarre and unexplained events that we'll explain later on, but the Hoya Baichu itself isn't very large, it's just a little under a square mile, so it's a pretty dense piece of land, but contains so many different sightings and experiences, so it's kind of just this dense little area of woods, but it's definitely really freaky with all the things that we're going to be talking about in this episode.
1: So this infamous forest has a reputation for being associated with various different paranormal incidents ranging from sightings of ghosts to encounters with UFOs. So we've already started off with a pretty broad range of experiences. Typically when people visit the forest, they report being overwhelmed with a sense of anxiety and feeling that they are being watched, which is kind of what one would expect if you're visiting an area with such notoriety. I mean, who's going to go to a haunted forest, or
0: much less the world's most haunted forest, and not leave with the sense of being watched? Exactly. I kind of wonder how much the reputation of the forest plays part into this feeling. I mean, I wonder if you just took a person and just said, hey, just go into this forest, if they would actually experience anything. Because, I mean, I feel if you're actually going to a haunted forest you're you almost want to feel that so yeah i don't know if it's kind of like a placebo effect but yeah for the amount of stories and experiences that we're going to be getting into i don't know there i mean there might be something there so if you get on google
1: and search for images of the forest on the internet they would pop up strangely shaped vegetation trees shaped very bizarrely, and much of the foliage seems to have, in my opinion, it kind of looks like it survived some sort of catastrophic event, like an explosion that permanently altered the growth of the vegetation. However, there is speculation that these strange curvatures around the trunks of the trees are caused by some sort of dark energy. Definitely a plausible explanation. So since the forest gained notoriety in the 60s, the site has become a major tourist attraction and some even offer ghost tours through the woods. Hoyabaichu is named for a shepherd who went missing in those woods along with a massive flock of 200 sheep. The natives of the surrounding area believe that the forest is actually inhabited by the spirits of many Romanian peasants who were murdered there. Enraged by their inability to escape the confines of the woods, these phantoms just
0: roam aimlessly in search of people to terrify. As I say, these stories date back like hundreds of years. So this this forest has had a mystique and kind of a legend around it for quite some time in Romania.
1: Right. There exists all sorts of legends about the forest, and most of the locals won't dare enter the forest for fear of never returning home.
0: Yeah, it's said that the majority of the people who actually enter or visit the forest is not the locals, but rather outside visitors or tourists. And I've seen and read a number of first-hand accounts from those living near the forest of, of people saying they have experienced strange things or unexplained sights or sounds. And a few that have actually been physically disturbed or harmed in some way in the forest. And, I mean, with that said, I'm sure that it's still a f- local hot spot for the teens of the area to try to go and, you know, get a night for a thriller scare, kind of like we talked about earlier. Right. I mean, this forest is world famous, and I can't see how most people would give up the opportunity to at least go once and maybe spend a night just to scare themselves I mean I know that's we would actually we would definitely do that
1: oh yeah absolutely and yeah I've I've read a number of accounts of people who you know hitchhiked their way up to Hoya and you know stayed there overnight just to say they did it and document their trip Um, so we'll get into some of those stories a little bit later but those who have entered the forest complain of all varieties of visceral ailments ranging from nausea and vomiting to rashes and burns while some other people even claim to be inexplicably scratched on their skin by what they believe to be some sort of angry apparition. Other encounters include visitors commonly witnessing flying orbs and also hearing the seemingly disembodied voice of female apparitions sometimes giggling at them, chasing them through the woods, so.
0: It's just a whole bunch of weird stuff going on. There's also a large amount of reports of nocturnal lights in the sky above the forest. And the description of these lights vary. Sometimes they're white, sometimes they're colored. Others they're either stationary or moving around. So it's not really consistent, but just with the amount of stories of these night lights, uh kind of plausible I guess. I mean, some of these nighttime lights have been actually captured on camera or on video. Um, As of yet, there is no scientific reasoning or real explanations that would shed light on all these weird things seen in the sky, but I guess we'll kind of get into the explanations later on.
1: I mean, there doesn't really seem to be any rhyme or or rhythm to the... uh the sightings and experiences i mean it's anything from aliens to orbs to ghosts to being scratched by an invisible entity so uh, it's kind of a hodgepodge of different paranormal experiences but nonetheless interesting so we'll get into some of the other stories in a little bit the forest actually began to become popular when a biologist by the name of alexander sift went to the forest in search of an explanation for why the trees were growing so strangely. So the trees is actually what initially started the whole thing. So before Alexander Sift came along to investigate the trees, it wasn't known as the world's most haunted forest. It was just a forest. So given that several of the trees would grow downward instead of upward... And several had strange, charred markings on them as if they were burned by some sort of fire. He did not find the answer to this riddle. However, what he did find caused the forest to begin building its reputation as the world's most haunted forest. And he actually managed to snap several photos of strange flying disks hovering over the forest as well as strange shadowy apparitions actually seem to follow him through the forest.
0: So I guess he got a lot more than he bargained for. He's just going there to study some trees and ends up seeing aliens and shadow people following yeah, him.
1: Yeah, and here we go with the hodgepodge of experiences. Aliens and shadow people. The first thing we look for in legitimizing these sorts of stories is consistency. And there doesn't really seem to be consistency with this. Orbs and ghosts, but... or Or... Flying saucers and ghosts, but, you know, I digress. We'll continue on and see if we can make something else out of it. So later in August of the same year, very same year, 1968, a military technician by the name of Emil Barnia decided to slip into the same forest for a camping trip with some friends, against the warnings of some other locals in the area, of course. So while picking up firewood, his friends began shouting his name, and pointing up into the sky. He whipped out his camera and snapped what many say is one of the best UFO photographic pieces of evidence in the entire world.
0: Yeah, I've seen the picture. I mean, I I don't know, I'm not a photo expert, but I think like a lot of the UFO pictures I've seen, it's possible that could have been faked in some way. But, I don't know, a lot of people kind of hold it up as one of the holy grails of photographic evidences. And about all these other photos, I mean, there are stories about sights that can only be seen on camera and not with the human eye, so some people will say that they're just going through the forest and taking pictures of the scenery, but then when they develop the photos or look at them on their camera or phone or whatever, they see weird stuff in the background, like shadowy figures or faces, sometimes glowing orbs that weren't seen by the people themselves, supposedly. And on the other hand, I've heard the reverse tales where people will see some unexplained sight, but then they try to take a picture and either nothing shows up or their camera conveniently malfunctions or, or whatever. So, I mean, there are a lot of photos surrounding this force, but I mean, whether they're real or not is always up to the debate.
1: Yeah, the, these two would definitely not be the last to take photographs of UFOs in the area and many people over the years have reported sightings and still to this day eager and hopeful spectators visit these woods in hopes of catching a glimpse of some sort of extraterrestrial craft of some sort so there is even a almost perfectly formed circle near the center of the forest that some speculate is a crop circle now, around this epicenter of paranormal activity there is no vegetation as inexplicably, foliage is unable to grow in the area. Specialist investigators have taken samples of the soil to analyze it. However, they've turned up pretty much no an- or answer for this strange occurrence.
0: Yeah, it's pretty strange. You can look up these the pictures of the forest online, and for all these overhead shots, you'll literally see this circular area in the middle of the forest where there's just you know no trees or bushes or anything and they can't really figure out why there's no plant life growing in this little area also around this little peculiar circle of land in the forest there's been a lot of discussion of why it's so devoid of any plant life some people believe that this area is some kind of interdimensional portal for UFOs and other extraterrestrial life sort of like a a
1: gateway to hell or something like that
0: yeah I I guess I don't it's it's kind of like this rest stop I guess for UFOs passing by and I don't know that would explain why there's so many UFO activity in the area Um, perhaps this is where they are arriving at earth somehow they like this particular location um also heard other accounts of people saying that as regarding the supernatural elements that this circle is also some type of vortex or portal for spirits or ghosts or some other supernatural force and many who visit this place say that this circle in particular gives them a strange and unexplained feelings so pretty much everyone who visits the forest say there's something weird going on with this little circle of land that has no plant life to it. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see, you know, if you're visiting the world's most haunted forest, and you're walking into the center of it and you find a strange field where there's no real vegetation, I could definitely imagine that walking out into the ma- that middle of that field would make me feel rather uneasy. But. Yeah. I don't know, that's just me. It doesn't necessarily mean anything paranormal is going on. But even stranger still, even to this day, when scientific investigators visit the forest, it's not uncommon for electronic equipment to just totally malfunction, similar to what some would experience in the Bermuda Triangle, hence the name. And many explain these phenomena as nothing less than true paranormal activity. And in one TV episode, an investigator is seemingly thrown to the ground by an unseen force and then scratched by a poltergeist. As one moves deeper into the interior of this dense forest, things grow more and more bizarre as there have been reports of people disappearing and others simply become lost for unknown periods of time. However, when they finally find their way out, of the forest they're dazed and unable to recall how long they've been gone or what had happened during that time and this is some this is something that a lot of people think might be as a result of alien abduction so one particular example of this story is about a 5-year-old girl who went into the woods and then she disappeared for 5 more years of her life only to reemerge you know 5 years later without any recollection of what had happened. And she was, like, in the same clothes and everything. Very strange. So, I don't know what you think about that, Sean. It, it, it definitely seems like it could possibly be related to, like, an alien abduction thing. And it kind of makes sense when you refer to it as a, a, a rest stop for aliens, you know, to sweep down to Earth and collect a few humans before continuing on their journey.
0: Right. I mean, I don't know how else to explain how these people go missing. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, this isn't a very large force at all. I mean, literally, you just walk a mile in any direction and you'll get out of it. So it doesn't make sense for these people to go missing days or weeks, supposedly at a time, especially if people are looking for them. So, I mean, whether you believe in the abduction or not, it is a one explanation why people can go into this forest, go missing for a few days, and then reappear, and then they claim they have absolutely no memory of what happened. Right. I guess another idea is they go in there and get blitzed out of their mind on drugs or something, and then when they come to, they don't realize that they've, you know, been hallucinating for two days straight or something, and then they just come out and be like, I don't know what's happening, man. Yeah,
1: but for five years, though, the little girl, I don't know, that kind of blew my mind. Five years is a long time
0: right but i mean i i was trying to look into that case further and i couldn't find no official documentation of this event happening beyond just the story passed around and just you know the same kind of story is posted all over the place and i couldn't find a family name or an exact date so i think the the little girl going missing for five years might just be an urban legend started after the fact you know just to fuel the mystery surrounding this forest We've dealt with similar things with some of our other urban legends.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know, let's talk about some potential explanations. To me, it seems a little bit far-fetched. There's, Like we said earlier, there's no real rhyme or rhythm to what's going on here. We got aliens one second, we got ghosts the next second, we got missing little girls for five years that suddenly pop up out of nowhere. There's not a lot of consistency. It's definitely weird, and I don't know if I'd want to stay in this forest by myself overnight, but, you know, aside from the trees, which could, in my opinion, have a very scientific explanation behind it, like something about the magnetism of the Earth, or something like that that's making the trees grow downward, or... You know, something about the climate in this particular area. That seems to be the only thing that's super hard to explain here, aside from some of the alleged sightings.
0: Yeah, I mean, there hasn't been a ton of, I guess, scientific explanations for all these things. I mean, like you said, it could be something in the soil, or it just could be some kind of weird particular species of the plant lives there. So, I mean, that that just kind of started why this forest was so weird to begin with. And then, just as the years go on, they tack on all these cases of ghosts, poltergeists, orbs, aliens, you know, just basically every single paranormal or supernatural element has probably been attributed to this forest at one point or another. So it's kind of hard to take it seriously in one way, just because it's almost ridiculous the amount of stories that come out of this one little forest. Right. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe there, there is something unexplained there that, I mean, even if it isn't actual real, something that's making the people think it is.
1: Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's that's the main thing, is we don't really know what exactly we're dealing with here, and there doesn't really seem to be any coinciding of ghosts and aliens and any other sort of topic we've discussed however um you know they, it, like we said it could just be a bunch of hype so you know it became big in the 60s and then the forest developed a reputation and you know people would go there and they would be on edge and they would feel like they're being watched And then, oh no, I'm getting a rash. Well, you know what? You touched the poison ivy. Yeah, well, I have these scratches. Well, you walked through some briars. I'm nauseous. Well, you ate some crappy dinner the night before. You know, there's a million different explanations for what could be going on. Right. And the other thing is, there's multiple stories of individuals going into the forest and experiencing nothing at all. So, I, yeah. I read about one group of guys who hitchhiked up to the forest, camped in the forest, built a fire, set up their hammocks, and they were hoping to see some ghosts. And so, they, they were definitely biased. You know, they're going in looking for ghosts. And they saw nothing. So, I don't know. I think that's a huge detractor from this particular haunted forest. But nevertheless, a very interesting story. It's got to be difficult to get a reputation for the most haunted forest in the world. So congratulations, Hoya You. Our next haunted forest of the night is known as the Suicide Forest This is located in Japan. And this is a much larger forest. This is 16 square miles of forest, also known as Aikigahara, which means a sea of trees. So basically every forest should be called. But anyways, we'll keep going. It's located near the base of Mount Fuji in Japan. And many tourists travel from far and wide simply to catch a glimpse of this forest's beauty and splendor. It's a magnificent forest. And the forest is home to many ice caves. And these are some of its main attractions, obviously. Who wouldn't want to go check out an ice cave in Japan? However, despite all of its beauty there's a another attraction that is far more sinister and this forest has become one of the world's most notorious hotspots for desperate individuals to go in to this forest in order to commit suicide particularly over the last 20 years so over the years police have discovered the bodies of hundreds of corpses and believe that there are far more out there yet to be discovered and some people think that There are lots of people whose remains have been dragged off by wild animals. So most of the remains that have been found are nothing more than just like skeletons draped in decaying rags that were once clothes.
0: Right, yeah, some of these bodies have been in the forest for years and years. And the reports of these large numbers of suicides actually began in 1978. And there would be around 30 bodies found a year for the next decade or so, and that's when this kind of nickname or the, the reputation of the suicide forest began, and that's when things really started to escalate, and by 2003, there was over 100 bodies found that year, and seven years later in 2010, there was reported over 200 attempted suicides that took place in the Aokikahara Forest, and I think by 2013, that's when they stopped reporting because they just wanted to kind of cease, try to nip this reputation in the bud. Cause right. I, I, it's kind of like the Golden Gate Bridge in over in America, which is kind of like our suicide capital, where it's like, it has such a reputation for a suicide that it almost draws people in that area. And they're just, I guess, trying to prevent that from happening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're getting all this publicity for this forest being a place cool place to go commit suicide i mean who wouldn't want to you know have you know your legend told as somebody who died in this famous forest so makes sense for them to just stop reporting the numbers but as you can imagine along with this reputation comes a significant number of tales and paranormal explanations for this forest's reputation So many locals believe that this forest is home to demons and other ghost-like spirits that are called yuri. And these yuri are thought to be spirits that have been excluded from the relief of a peaceful afterlife. So there's a story of a man named Jason Zada who has traveled to the forest. And he says he can speak firsthand to the lore and superstition that surrounds the area with some of the, the local Japanese he says when we were in japan when i actually saw the forest and had a guide take us in at the very end the sun was going down and we were leaving he asked us can i rub salt on your back and you rub salt on my back and i said that's a very odd request but sure and i asked him why and he said well we believe that when you go to a place like this that the yuri will cling to your back and they'll go home with you and haunt you at your house so by rubbing salt on your back, you get rid of them. So it's just like this incredibly strange image that stuck in my head that people could be carrying around
0: Yuri's with them. I wonder how they came up with that remedy. I don't know. Like, I guess some guy was just carrying salt with them and said, hey, maybe this will work, and rubbed it on their back or something.
1: And it obviously worked because he went home and there were no Yuri's. So, exactly, yeah, it makes perfect sense. You rub a little salt well, that's on that's good. So back.
0: salt keeps away... Slugs and demons.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna start carrying it around with me everywhere I go.
0: It's just safe to have. Yeah, it is. It is
1: multi multi purpose seasonings. Can even sprinkle it on your food if you run out of yuris to scare off.
0: <laughs> oh, and back to the forest. So there was a man named Asuza Hayano, and he's been studying this forest for over three decades. And Asuzu has unfortunately come across, in his line of work, as many as a 100 bodies in his time exploring the forest. And of the bodies he has found, the most common way of death tends to be either hanging or drug overdose. And as much of an expert as he is in this area, even he has no clear idea why this forest draws so many people in to take their lives. And that's one of the mysteries surrounding this forest is... Why are all these people picking this particular location to go kill themselves?
1: Yeah, so if you google image you know the, the this particular suicide forest in Japan, which I don't necessarily recommend doing, but if one hypothetically were to search images of it on the internet they'll find numerous numerous skeletons that you know obviously these individuals have been dead for a long time, some of them hanging in the forest in in groups of like two or three and it's It's really disturbing there's definitely a fair amount of hangings, and you know the skeletons the skeletons just stay
0: there I guess I was uh watching one kind of tour through the the forest and they were saying this is pretty much like the only location, a tour, where you really hope that you don't find anything. Right. Because if you do come across something, it's most likely going to be a, a person. And, I mean, no one really wants to see that on a truck through the forest. Nah, definitely not. And, I mean, many who travel and visit this forest claim that they have some kind of dark feelings or just uncomfortable sensations while traveling through the forest. And a lot of people have said they hear distant talking or voices, which kind of adds to the creepy factor. Though this may very well be just, you know, other people in the forest, some ways in the distance, and nothing sinister.
1: Yeah, could be. I mean, this again, this is a much larger forest than the Hoya Bites You. But, yeah, I mean, it, it totally could be other people. I don't know how many people, like, live people this would attract at one time but I mean voices don't carry terribly far
0: in in the forest if you know what I'm talking about that's true yeah and like I said I I watched a few kind of tours or people going through the forest and they never came across anybody so I'd assume it's not very heavily trafficked right it is a pretty isolated area yeah and so people Familiar with the legends around Ayokikahara, say that there might be some type of dark or evil forces, maybe even demonic, that is preying on those nearby. And these dark forces would draw, you know, vulnerable or depressed people into the deeps of the forest, and these demons or spirits or whatever they are just, over time, erode these people's will to survive until they eventually persuade their victims to end their lives.
1: That's kind of an interesting explanation. I mean, it sort of makes sense. There's I don't see any real scientific, logical explanation for why people are drawn to this force to commit suicide. But I think that's definitely an interesting take, that there's, you know, kind of evil forces that, you know, if your will is weakened by whatever you're experiencing in life. You get drawn to this forest, and then over time it kind of erodes your will to keep going until you eventually just decide to kill yourself. So, that's kind of an interesting explanation.
0: It is, and it's not... I mean, in this theory, it's not like a quick thing. It's not like, you know, jumping over a bridge. Like, as soon as you jump, the decision is made. And this is like the people are being drawn into the forest and it, it takes you know it could be days for them until they finally decide to end their lives so it's kind of just like a long period of time where these people are being tormented until they just can't take it anymore and low, many people who actually die in the forest most likely have come there with the sole purpose of committing suicide It's also possible that a good number of other deaths did not happen that particular way. If you look up the actual terrain of the forest itself, it's pretty tricky, and sometimes outright dangerous. It's not really even ground at all, and people who venture from the paths, you know, have experienced a bunch of uneven slopes. It's a lot of tree roots tangled together. Uh, there's a large amount of holes that are scattered all over the forest that are kind of hard to see because sometimes they're covered with leaves, and it just creates these easy to miss places where all it takes is one wrong step or run, fall, and you got a badly sprained ankle or you've broken a bone falling down a, a you know a hill or something. And another trait of this forest is that it's rich with magnetic iron, which can occasionally cause havoc with cell phone reception and compasses as well. And, I mean, not to mention the fact that we've kind of alluded to that this forest is pretty isolated. There's, most of the time, there's no one really around. And the size of the forest makes it unusual for visitors to come across each other, as we've mentioned. So, when you take all these accounts together, I mean, in my mind, it's pretty possible that a large number of these people is badly hurt themselves while walking around deep in the woods of ahigahara and then you know if they hurt their legs or they break a bone or something and they can't walk and their cell phones aren't working or their compass they don't know where they are so I mean they'd be basically at the mercy if anyone's nearby to hear their cries for help and if there was nobody around you know exposure to the elements could finish them off in a day or two
1: yeah so that's that's an interesting uh interesting take yeah i think you know it doesn't take much in the forest on a height to break your ankle and permanently incapacitate yourself before pretty soon you're either freezing or starving or being eaten by animals i think that's you know a pretty plausible explanation and you know if if people are reporting going into the forest and hearing screams and cries for help who knows that could be A human out there that's on the ground with a broken leg begging for help and that's what you're hearing and you think it's a ghost and you turn around and run away. So, but you know, on the other side of the coin, you know, this would explain maybe a portion of the, of the deaths, but definitely not the hundreds of deaths that we've seen in in the last couple of
0: decades. That's true.
1: So perhaps Aokigahara was, you know, it's all the hype got started when, you know, it's definitely a dangerous forest. Maybe a few dozen people got killed in the forest, and maybe that's what started the, the publicity for the forest, and then people decided to start killing themselves there, and it kind of, you know, spiraled out of control from there.
0: Who knows? Yeah, I could see that. that that's a good explanation for this escalation. I mean, it's really odd for people who want to look into this further, it's... I think it is safe to say that the majority of people who venture into the forest have suicide in their mind, because there there are tales of people who take ribbons or rope, and they will kind of tie it on the trees as they go along, so if they decide to live, they can easily find their way back out. Otherwise they'd be, you know, trapped in the forest. And there's a lot of old tents and campsites of That are found, of basically just people who go deep into the woods and you know camp out for a day or two, and I I guess just kind of mull things over, actually decide if they want to live or not. So I mean, it's it's kind of depressing. I've seen some videos and, and pictures of people coming across these campsites that are look like years old, and there could be like you know bodies nearby where these people, you know, obviously came prepared. And, you know, maybe spent one last day deciding if they want to live or not, but then something just persuades them not to.
1: Yeah, so anyways, just just a shout out to those individuals who might be attracted to stuff like this. Don't don't do this. Get get help. See a psychologist. Call a hotline, talk to a friend, whatever you gotta do. Don't go to gahara and and give in to the the new fad. Anything else on uh Suicide Forest.
0: No, nah, just I think we've covered it. Just a very creepy place.
1: Yeah, definitely a creepy place. Kind of a depressing place. So, anyways, I kind of wanted to finish off this episode with a slightly less sinister, more benign haunting. Um, so, this I kind of thought it was relevant to add to our series given that it hits close to home. So, this story is actually. The Haunting of Bluff Mountain located in Virginia in the United States. So located on a famous trail known as the Appalachian Trail that actually crosses through uh, several eastern, northeastern states in the United States. So located along the Appalachian Trail in Virginia, there is a marker along the trail that states that a boy died there over 100 years ago. And the marker is located at the top of what's known as Bluff Mountain. And the boy was none other than Adi Klein Powell. And he was four years old at the time of his death. So now I personally have never hiked the Appalachian Trail, but I have been out in the woods camping by myself at night in the Blue Ridge Mountain Range. And I tell you what, when I'm camping out there by myself at night... The last thing I want to see is the ghost of a little boy. That would that would end my camping trip right there on the spot. But you know, I've I've met a number of people. Not I've met a number of people who have hiked the Appalachian Trail. I can think of one or two, maybe, who actually have claimed to have seen the ghost of Adi Powell. So I don't know. In my in my general opinion, there isn't much scarier than being out in the woods by yourself. You know, listening to strange animal calls and simply being on your own where if something were to happen to you you'd be totally screwed and it's a hopeless situation essentially. So, But on this trail there is a shelter about two miles from where the boy was killed. And this shelter is a, a cabin similar to others along the trail except for one thing. And when people stay in it they've reported Sightings of this young boy. So many believe the boy to be, again, the ghost of Adi Powell. It's actually real difficult to find stories of sightings of Adi Powell on the internet. However, um, if one is interested in reading about these stories, hikers can actually check the registries in the shelter and there are Supposedly tons of stories of sightings of Adi Powell. So the story of how Adi Powell died goes like this. And it takes place on Monday, November 9th in 1891, around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So Sean, why don't you uh, get us started with the story of Adi Powell.
0: Alright, so this starts in one afternoon, November 9th, and a teacher of the boys named Miss Gilbert decided to get her students to gather some firewood for a break from their lessons. Apparently this is a thing you did back in the days before electricity had been invented, when you need to take, I guess instead of recess, you have the children go out and collect firewood.
1: Yeah, you go you go pick up sticks.
0: Yeah, at least that's something useful they can do. Exactly, it builds character. So, I mean, the young children would go out and collect kindling, and the older boys, some of which were Adi's brothers, Harry and Joseph would collect the bigger pieces for the fireplace. And since there was so much that had been collected early in the year, the children had to go deeper into the woods to collect the fuel needed for the fire.
1: So naturally, Adi, at four years old, wanted to go with his older brothers, you know, as the young boys do. And so he decided to tag along with Harry and Joseph. And they went deep into the forest and started picking up twigs and such like that and when he had collected a fair load of twigs he wanted to show his brothers how awesome he was, how many twigs he had collected and again at four years old he began walking towards his brothers. So as he neared the older brothers who were swinging an old axe they warned him not to get too close since sometimes the axe head would fly off the handle and they asked him to circle around the other side of the mountain. So, already the story is starting to, to get a little hairy. Like, uh, seems like the type of story you would be talking about that would result in the production of a ghost.
0: Right, whenever you have a little kid venturing off into the deep, dark woods by himself, you kind of get the feeling it's not going to end well.
1: Well, that's not even what I was talking about. I was talking about the axe head flying off and uh, hitting Adi in the face. Well, that's true, but... I guess. But anyways, keep going.
0: Alright, so Adi, of course, eagerly agreed to go off on his own and venture into the woods to search for even more firewood. And as he was following the path, he saw it. The most beautiful dry piece of firewood anyone could imagine. Big and dry, just like he knew was perfect for firewood. He began to pull on it until he finally worked it free from the overgrowth and started to go back up the trail, dragging it behind him to go to go show it to his brothers. After dragging this heavy branch, he soon became tired and began to wonder where his brothers had gone. So he set the branch down and ran up the hill to where they were and gave a shout. However, he got no response back, and Adi found that he was completely lost. Now, Adi became overcome with a sense of fear as the reality of the situation began to set in, that he recognized nothing around him.
1: Yeah, this is a terrifying feeling that I've personally experienced at a very young age. Being lost in the woods, not recognizing anything around you, and it seems like no matter what direction you choose to to follow, you know, the odds are against you. You're you're lost. So psychologists actually say that At the age of four, it's where imagination blurs the lines between reality and fantasy so severely that this is, you know, it's real difficult for four-year-olds to differentiate between what's real and what's made up. So this is basically a perfect scenario for a young boy like Adi to get lost. So... He began to, you know, he, he's in this forest, he's lost, he's a little bit scared, and he starts to hear a nearby crow that sounded strangely kind of human. And it, it made him think that his brothers were nearby playing a trick on him, as, you know, they played in the woods before, and they would make crow noises, and sometimes he would, you know, they would make crow noises to kind of call back and forth to each other. So... Adi thinks that this crow is actually his brother, so he calls out to them, and eventually he realizes that he had no such luck. So, not knowing what to do, he spotted a mountain in the distance, which seemed to call to him. So, what else would he do? He began to head towards it. After all, the mountain is somewhere, and as far as he knew, he was currently nowhere. So, why not be at the top of this mountain? So, he headed for the mountain. Unfortunately, the mountain that to him seemed just a short distance away turned into a several-mile-long hike, and he was now severely lost in the wilderness, and his brothers were actually, unbeknownst to him, searching desperately for him.
0: And around this time, it's about 3 p.m., so a few hours have passed, and Adi is still walking quickly towards that mountain. And the wind's swirling around the trees, and it's producing sounds similar to a voice. And so he stops and looks around to see if anyone is near. And he says, I'm here, hello. But of course there's no answer. And he's just desperate to hear that one of his brother's voices are calling for him. Again, he cries, hello, but there's no one there. And at this point, it's become he's really becoming overcome with fear and starting to break down. And Adi begins to wonder if this is some type of test from God, or if he is being punished for some reason. Given that his father was a minister, and he had been raised in a deeply religious family.
1: So, a search party began to form for Adi, and they quickly found the log that he had drugged. However, he was so far away from this log now... Um, that there was no hope of finding him. So they actually fired rifle shots into the air, which Adi actually is believed that he heard the shots fired into the air, but they just kind of scared him. And he, you know, at the age of four, you hear gunshots, and you think, get away from the gunshots. So he kept going towards the mountain, and by now it was starting to get dark. So he eventually reached the top of the mountain and shouted for his mother and father as loud as he could, And then he sat down and began to pray for help and for forgiveness. And he was totally lost. So as the search search party turned up empty-handed, the young boy sat at the top of the hill and started to shiver violently as the rain fell on his cold body. And it's believed that he died here in that position, huddled up. And then, you know, they found him... A little bit thereafter found his body, and medical examination found that the boy had fallen asleep, never to awaken again. So this location was marked with a cross, which was later replaced with a concrete marker that reads, This is the exact spot little Audie Klein, Powell's body was found April 5th, 1891, after straying from the Tower Hill schoolhouse, November 9th a distance of seven miles, age four years and 11 months. So, that's a terrible thing, terrible story, um, that ultimately resulted in the ghost of Adi Klein being frequently sighted on the Appalachian Trail. So ever since then, people have claimed to you know, see his youthful spirit or feel his presence on Buff- Bluff Mountain around what's known as the Punchbowl Shelter. So, again, there weren't really that many uh, personal stories of encounters with Adi Klein. However, if you actually ever visit the shelter in Virginia, you can take a look at the registry, and there will be all kinds of personal reports there of encounters with this young ghost.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the mascot ghost of the Appalachian Trail at that point. it's a—I mean, it's a, it's a sad story. I don't know how much of it is true or how much has been kind of exaggerated or fabricated over time but I mean it's still sad that no matter what happened that a little boy did die you know I mean probably just a few miles away from safety
1: and the thing that sucks is that if he had just stayed by that log they would have found him but you know he's at that age where it just makes sense to go towards the mountain. I mean, the mountain's calling you, and, you know, you don't really know what's reality and what's your imagination. You're four and a half years old, so you just go towards the mountain, and lo and behold, the mountain is miles and miles away from where he actually was, so unfortunately, that's the end of the story of Adi Klein.
0: Alright, so that brings an end to that, the haunting of Bluff Mountain, and the last of our stories of haunted forests located around the world. And there were plenty more of other haunted locations, but these are a few ones that we picked out that we thought were particularly interesting and creepy.
1: Absolutely. There were definitely a very large number of haunted forests around the world, but these are some of the kind of more interesting ones that stuck out to me personally.
0: Right. And, and, I mean, pretty creepy. I mean, just the more that we were digging into the different forest. I mean, whether they're true or not, it, it still makes for pretty scary stories.
1: So that's it for this episode of the Strange Matters Podcast. If you would like to contact us to send your feedback on this episode, or if you've ever hiked the Appalachian Trail and seen the ghost of Adi Klein, or ever been to Aokigahara in Japan, if you've ever been to Hoya Bites You and seen a ghost or a UFO there, please feel free to comment on our website or send us an email at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com
0: If you are in the mood for other creepy or mysterious podcasts then I suggest you check out all the lineup at darkmyths.org and Strange Matters is a member of the Dark Myths Collective which is just a group of like-minded podcast that deals with a whole range of genres from mystery and crime and paranormal. So if you're looking for something else to listen to when you're not listening to Strange Matters, please check out Dark Myths. And we also ask that if you are listening to us on iTunes and you enjoy the show and would like to help us out a little bit, we'd appreciate if you leave us a reading and a review. It means a lot to us to read your feedback, and it also helps promote the podcast so we can find new listeners.
1: So until next time at Strange Matters Podcast, have a good night, everybody. See ya.